Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. For you that are wondering, who is this strange man up here? Okay, my name is Mark, and if you were here last Sunday, I got introduced as the new pastor that's on staff here. And so I am what I would call the old guy that's the new kid on the block. And so, of course, what Ben does in such a loving fashion is he introduces me last Sunday and then says, you're speaking this Sunday. So enjoy. You get to enjoy. One of the things I get to talk to you about uh, uh, and to focus on is uh, bringing to a conclusion our study of resilience. You know, that's been going on for just about, I think, uh, six or seven weeks that that has been taking place. And before we begin, I want to just kind of recap for you a little bit what's taken place. If you've been with us or you've been online following this series, we started, I think it was seven weeks ago, with this series on resilience. And we started with a, with a simple thing, and that was that Ben began to define for us resilience. This idea that it wasn't just endurance, it wasn't somehow able to persevere under pressure, but it's the idea of the ability to spring back or to bounce back after walking through a difficult season. That, that opportunity like that, to spring back from that. And the two examples he gave of that was the idea of a balloon, the idea that it could expand, loose, and then expand again. And then the other thought was this idea of a spring, something that could be compressed and come back. And that resiliency is by its very nature something that is supposed to be, but not necessarily always is, a part of our life, especially as a Christian walking with the Lord and filled with the Spirit. And so we went from there to developing a resilient kind of faith. And there was the example used of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And of course, they were going to face that fiery furnace. But the preparation of resilience in their faith happened long before that. And it's the idea that you cannot face something and be resilient just at that moment. It has to be something that's been built into your life by the way that you've walked and how you've interacted in relationship with God. And then we went from there and, and Tom shared. Tom shared with us a personal experience. He talked about him and Lori and the difficult time that they've been going through. And during that process, he talked about what it was like to have people come alongside him, a community of believers that were praying and coming next to him and Lori, and how it built a resiliency in them by being surrounded by that kind of love and care. After that, Ben talked a little bit about a rhythm of rest. If you remember that, he talked about Sabbath and the fact that what God had built into the creative order of things is that we are meant to rest, and that rest is meant to be a reflective moment of our relationship with God. And that without those moments of rest, we will not be able to be resilient and bounce back from the pressures that come into our life. Then came future forward, looking at the Apostle Paul and how the Apostle Paul constantly in every difficult situation, every trial, every tribulation, everything that seemed to be going on and on and on and on and on and on in his life, he was always looking forward. 
He was looking to the future. He had his eyes fixed on an end game. And then last week, they were talking about moving forward together. And as we talked about the idea that there is a strength of resiliency that can only be found in community. The idea of standing alone resiliently, yeah, you can do it, but to do that exponentially, to be able to do that over a long haul, to be able to do that under great pressure is, is literally uh, accentuated and strengthened by numbers. Talked about the body of Christ being resilient together. And today, what I get to do is to close off with a simple thing. I want to talk to you a little bit about being resilient for life. The idea that the resiliency that you're experiencing or the resiliency that you're building is something that will go on and on and on with you, not just from this point, but all the way to the end. When that moment when you'll see Jesus face to face and you'll be standing there resilient in your faith and resilient in this sense that you have allowed God to work in you and been able to bounce back and continue a journey that he prepared for you that has an end. It's with him. So before we do that, we're going to be looking in a moment at a, someone in Scripture that literally what God does is he opens up the book in the life of a young man to see and to show resiliency working not just for a moment, but throughout a lifetime. And before we look at that, I want to share with you a scripture. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 13. You know that's kind of the love chapter, but I love the way Paul finishes it up. He makes this statement. Now these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. I share that with you because the word remain means to abide, to be steadfast, to stay, to go the distance, to never fail, to continue on. It's this idea that there are three things that you can count on if you want to be resilient in life. And that is faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. We're going to look now at Genesis chapter 37, and we're going to begin to look at the life of Joseph someone that you've probably heard about in Sunday school. school. You may have even read his whole story from beginning to end in the Word of God. But a man, man who is coming of age, and we begin to see how God is working in and around his life, building a resiliency in him so he can face every kind of difficulty and trouble in the future. And at the heart of what's being built are those three words. That there's something about love. There's something about hope. And that there's something about faith that is going to reside with Joseph all the days of his life. With that in mind, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 37. But before we do that, I just, got, I just have to share, okay. I want to talk about my backyard. Okay, so yeah, we're right on target. Now I'm going to talk about my, back, my backyard, okay. I, I moved here to Sterling in December, okay. So do you remember December in Sterling? Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. I know you do. Uh, in my backyard, there was all kinds of, of dead things, and then there was pile of leaves, and that was all covered by a whole lot of white stuff. It was just, and that, so I had the debris with me as the snow was going away, it was still there. And so we're throwing all kinds of things. But this spring, this spring, all of a sudden where there is nothing, there are all of these perennials that are coming up. 
And my wife and I are going, what is that? What's that? What does that look like? I wonder if that's, is that a weed? Is that a flower? What? And along the back fence, from one end to another right now, there's nothing but green and all kinds of different flowers, all kinds of shapes. All, I, can't, I, just be, I can't name them. I don't have the slightest idea. I mean, I was pretty good when I saw a daffodil and thought that's a daffodil. But after that, we're into things that are way beyond my what, horticultural background. Okay, I just am not there. So I, but that's going on back there. And what I realize is, is that there's something about perennials that has to do with resilience. Perennial means... This simple kind of thought that a perennial is something that is continually recurring. A perennial is something that exists for a seemingly long time. Perennial is something that seems to be infinite. (laughs) What we're going to look at in the life of Joseph, if you were going to describe who is this guy, He's the guy that when you're talking about resilience, you would say he's a perennial. He's one that, like Buzz Lightyear, to infinity and beyond. I mean, he's that kind of character. He's that one that literally shows over and over again something that we only hope for, what we long for, a resiliency in our life. And the simple things that are shown here in Scripture, I believe, are the basis of something that we need to hold on to and to live in so we can be resilient like that. What you find in Scripture is, is the background on this. We don't really have much. He's 17 years old when we're about to read this portion of Scripture. He might be 18 really by when this talks, but somewhere in that neighborhood, he's coming of age as a man. His background is anything but marvelous. It's kind of a mixture of big messes and mighty miracles. It's kind of like he lived in this hodgepodge of things where one moment there was a huge mess, the next moment there was a miracle. It was like that God was just enjoying this process of what he was doing in his chosen family because Joseph's brother was, uh, his father was named Jacob. So in the time that he's growing up, between the time he is born and the time that he's 17 years old, He is in the place where he's with his family when the whole family is upheaval, goes through upheaval and moves and has to flee from Jacob's father-in-law, Laban, flees from him to go back to the, the promised land. He is with the family when they confront Esau, who is Jacob's brother who wanted to kill him. He is with him when his his mom dies, giving birth to his youngest brother, Benjamin. He's there and with them when Isaac, his grandfather, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, well, that's his grandpa, Isaac. He's there when Isaac dies. He's in a place where he sees what happens, a dysfunctional family. There are 11 brothers he has and a sister. And in that family setting, there are four different mothers. So four different mothers 11 brothers and a sister, all living under one little covering. And so you can just imagine what goes on in that kind of setting. In that setting is a place where he also experiences a place where his sister, his sister is molested. 
Two of his brothers begin to, to a murderous rampage through a city. The rest of the brothers join in except for him and loot that city. And Jacob ends up leaving with his family from that whole area concerned about everything that had taken place and not really knowing what to do with his family. And so into that kind of setting, what I would call this balance between a mess and a miracle, there was things that were taking place in Jacob's life where he's there when his dad says, we're not going to have idols in this house anymore. They're all going. And he cleans house and he focuses on the Lord God. He's there when Jacob gets his name changed and God says, I'm not going to call Jacob a deceiver anymore. I will call him Israel. He will be a blessing to nations, and I will raise up a great nation from him. That is what is Joseph's childhood background. He's in this mess, and at the same time, he's seeing the miraculous. And we pick up the story in verse 3 of Genesis chapter 37 when it says this. Now Israel, that's Jacob's new name, he loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him when he was in his old age. He made an ornate robe for him. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word about him. What I want you to see here is something that goes to what we first said, the greatest of these is love. There is something about our life that we need to embrace we need to embrace the gift of God's love. We need to embrace it. You know what embrace means? It means that you literally draw close and hold on to it. You know what, it, you know what one of these embraces is? You know, it's like, okay, that's not what we're talking about. Embrace God's love. Take it in. Take hold of it. Take it to yourself. Accept it. See, God's love is more than enough. More than enough for any mess that you're in, difficulty you're in, any problems that you have created, any sins that you have committed. His love is greater than that, and he wants you to receive that. You know, we all know the scripture, John 3:16. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him, embrace him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. So what are you being asked to do? What is, what is Joseph being asked to do in this setting? He's being asked to receive, to embrace, and accept the love of a son that's being chosen by his father, but also the love of a God who has chosen him for a special purpose. Now I want you to just think for the, just for a moment. Joseph is 17 or 18 years old. He's been living with this family, family his whole life. He's seen everything that's gone on. Don't think for a moment that he didn't know exactly what was going to take place if he put that on. If he took that gift and he walked in that authority and that position as a chosen son, he knew exactly what was going to happen, and literally it does. They hated him. The word there, and I don't know how you grew up in Sunday school, but I grew up with, uh, it was called a coat of many colors. I don't know if you got to do that. Where I got, I always, They always had lines on it, just perfect, and you had to color inside the line all the different colors, you know, so that you got Joseph's 
so he'd look good, you know. So you would do that, you know. But the word there, it, it, it's, not, it's not that word. It's an interesting word that's used here in Scripture because it, it is the word for tunic. It was, it was literally, tunic means from hand to foot. It was an intricately woven garment that would cover the body from here down to your toes and down to your hand. It was woven together, as Scripture says here, that it was ornate, or in other places it says many different colors. Other places says uh, artistically woven. It's this idea that there was woven. It was a woven kind of garment that was put on to him that symbolizes and spoke of his position as a chosen one. Now, I, th I want you to just understand, it's not the first time in Scripture that that word was used. That word was originally used for the very first time in a garden setting. Or maybe you could say the after garden setting. In Genesis chapter th uh, uh, 3 verse 21, it says this, The Lord God made garments, that word's tunic, of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. When did that happen? It was after the fall after they had sinned and fallen, when they were in a place where they were covered with, with shame, that in that place what God said, I will make a covering for you. I will give you a tunic. You have not lost what I want to do in your life because of sin. I have a plan. And I would just stop just for a moment and say to you, I don't really know what kind of messes have been in your life, what kind of failures you, you have, what kind of places where you feel like you've been disqualified somehow, but there is a God that literally, no matter what it is, and no matter what's taking place in your life, that there's a God who wants you to embrace His love and receive the gift that He has for you. Scripture says that love covers a multitude of sin. That word there is a, love, a funny little word, pasha, which means basically this. Anything that you can imagine thrown into that bucket of sins, anything that you can imagine of failures and stumbling and places where you shouldn't have gone but you did anyway, they're all in that bucket. And no matter which one you pull out, there's a God who loves and can cover that. He can give you a tunic of covering that you are chosen by him for a purpose and a plan. He covers sin by his grace. But not only that, that's about sonship and relationship, the idea that you are part of his family. That word's used again. It's used in a very interesting place. It's used in Scripture in Exodus 39:27 and numerous times actually in Exodus. It says, for Aaron and his sons, they made tunics of fine linen. It was the work of a weaver or an artist. They literally prepared for those that were of priestly duty, those that would come into the presence of the Most High God, that they would be covered with a tunic. They would find a covering that is made for them that they could enter into the presence of the Most High God, a holy God and they could enter in underneath this garment, underneath this covering that is provided for them. 
Scripture says in, in John, it says that perfect love casts out fear. See, what is the difficulty of approaching a holy God? It's our unholiness. And what you have here, not only with, with, with uh, Joseph embracing this gift of God's love, it's something that we need to do too. We're called a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. That there's something about the way you and I are to live, it's because we are covered and we know it. How do you walk in resiliency when you know your imperfections? How do you keep walking like a child of the Most High God when you know where you fail? When you know where you stumble, you walk because you're covered. You walk because there's one that is greater than you. Perfection does not depend upon you. It is a gift of love from the Most High God, and you just need to accept it, to embrace it, to receive it. Have you ever been to a barn wedding? <laughs> I keep forgetting this. You know, I, this is my first time, by the way. I've never, you see one of these little things? I've never worn one of those. It's always here or it's here. This is, yeah, technology and forgot about my hand. Okay, sorry, use this hand. Use my left hand. I got to use my left hand. Okay, so you know what a barn wedding is? You, you, you're undoubtedly a, where you have been to a barn wedding. Yeah, they're one of those where everything happens inside the barn. You know, not only the service, but then all the aftermath of that. I did a barn wedding years and years ago, and one of the, the, the ones that was with me was my, my uh, firstborn grandson. He's about 18 months, years, months old, learning how to walk and everything else. And the, the service was over. People were dancing, doing all kinds of things, eating. And, and I saw him walking towards the door, you know, towards the big barn door. And the, the barn kind of looked out over a, a, a pasture. And as he walked towards the door, I noticed that it's like it was raining. And so as I walked towards the door, I didn't even think about it, but I walked over towards the door, and as he stepped out in the rain, I just took my suit coat, and I went like this. And so the, the rain's coming down, the storm's coming down, it's bouncing off my suit, but he's not getting wet. And someone snapped that picture from behind, and so I have it in, I have it in my room. It's a reminder to me, not of me covering my grandson, but it reminds me all the time of how God covers me me and how he covers you that God sees what's going on he loves you so much and he has made plan after plan after plan to cover you to protect you and all he's asking is that you would embrace the gift of his love to you and I'll just share this with you you'll never be resilient unless you know you're loved never You'll never be able to go the distance unless you know you have a God who loves you. That in spite of what you face, the difficulties, the stumbles, the, the obstacles, that there is one that loves you. If you believe that and you embrace that, it builds resiliency into your walk through what we all know are difficult times. Next thing I'd like you to do is look at uh, verses 5 through 10. I'm going to read this because I'm sure this isn't exactly the way Joseph was hoping that this would come out. But the second one we're going to look at is hope and this idea that you need to expect God to do things His way. I'm going to pause there just for a minute. We all know what it is to tell God what our expectations are because if He would just do what we want Him to do, then everything would be great. 
That's kind of how we approach prayer. Lord, I want this. Lord, I want this. Lord, I want that. Or Lord, you should do that. I know, God, I know you're loving, so you should do this. Instead of trying to find out what he wants to do. Lord, what do you want to do here? Wow, it changes everything. Lord, what do you want to do here? I know I don't see everything. I know I don't understand everything. I don't have a, a great depth of wisdom about where this will take things. But Lord, I do know you know that. So show me. Show me what you want to do. What you have here is simply, here's a young man that's about to have dreams. God's going to give him some plans and ideas about what he wants to do. And then what's going to happen is, very simply, Joseph's going to kind of forget that God has to be the one to complete the plan. Here's the story. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered all around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Would you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And then he had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were all bow bowing down to him. When he told his father as well as his brother, his father, Jacob, he rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father, his father Jacob, kept the matter in mind. This is the same Jacob that had had many dreams from the Lord. And there's something that caught his attention in the midst of this that gave him an indication that God was about to do something, though he was uncertain what it might be. Scripture says in Jeremiah 29, verse 1, that God has a purpose for plans that he reveals. It says this, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They're plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And we started with those three things, love and faith and hope. This is God revealing a plan to Joseph because he was going to need to have hope. He was going to need to know that God was doing something because what was about to unfold was anything but what Joseph expected. I'm sure when he got those dreams, he wasn't thinking when he told his brother or even his dad that anybody was going to hate him more or somehow it would lead to traumatic events in his life. He was just, hey, this is great. Look at me. I'm going to be on top. This is a wonderful thing. This is great. And I'm pretty sure I even know how it's going to happen. It could happen right now. All you have to do is bow down right now. You could just bow down. Dad, go ahead. Get on your knees. Get, lead the way. I mean, all the things that flow through a teenager's mind is he's got this glimpse that God wants to do something in his life and he's going to show exactly how to get it done. It doesn't work that way. But he is going to need to know that God gave him a plan. You know, let me, I'll share with you a little bit. This is just a little insight into my family life. Okay, so this is how God works in answering my prayers 
or in fulfilling my expectations, but not the way I want them. Okay? So, this last week, I'm coming home, and I'm, I'm pretty much at that place where I'm, I'm dirty, coming in the house, walking the back door, and my wife is at the kitchen counter. And so I'm thinking, okay, great, good husband. I'm going to walk up behind her, get up behind her, and I lean over her shoulder, and I go, I really love you. Okay, now, I'm, I'm just stop right there. Okay, I don't know what you guys would be thinking is the purpose of this, but I'm just going to be right out there. All I could see was, I really love you, honey. And then, I mean, I, that's, I'm telling, that's the way I think. I'm not, I'm not trying to, that's just the, what I was thinking. It's like, of course, this, that's exactly what's going to happen. But this is what happened. I come up, I lean over her shoulder, I go, I really love you. And as she says that, as I say that, she starts to turn and she's got a container of ranch dressing that drops to the ground, hits the floor, and instantly splatters on me, splatters on her, puts a big pile on the floor, hits the refrigerator, hits the cabinets, and for the next 15 minutes, we're cleaning up Miracle Whip salad dressing, whatever that is. Now, I, I don't want to say this at all, but we laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed and continued to laugh. And still now, when we talk about it, we continue to laugh. And I just want to share this. God did more to bring a closeness between my wife and I through us dealing with a mess than with me getting up on the lips. And I'm thinking, and that's exactly what I thought. I thought, God, you've got to be kidding me. It's like, this is the way I get treated. I just wanted a kiss, and you wanted so much more for my life. So much more. I didn't see it coming that way. But see, once again, if you're trusting and believing, and you have hope that God is doing things in your life, those kind of things happen. And that's our, those are things that clearly that Joseph is going to need. He's going to need to know that he can expect God to do things, that he can have hope in the God who has a plan for his life. Scripture says in, in Job chapter 14, verse 7 through 9, there is hope for a tree, even if it's cut down, it will sprout again and its new shoots will not fail. Its roots may grow old in the ground, the stump may even die in the soil. Yet at the scent of water, it will bud and put forth shoots like a plant. That is what Joseph is going to be living with over and over and over again. And he needs to have hope. And he needs to, to know that he's loved. And I would say to you, so do we. So do we. We need to know that God loves us. Need to know that he has a plan for our life. Need to know that our hope is not in what we can do, but what he can do for us. When you think about the rest of the story, and I'm, the story just begins here. In fact, part of the action step you're going to get is really to read the life of Joseph. It's amazing. There's a resiliency there in his life, a perennial resiliency that, that is truly unhuman. And I say that because you can't do what he did without the hand of God. 
You won't be able to either. Resiliency and the ability to keep that going comes from knowing that God's love is a gift that you're receiving and that you literally expect him to do something and you're not going to tell him how to do it. You're just in expectation that the God who loves you will do something magnificent because of who he is. I'm going to skip over and we're going to go all the way to the end of this chapter. You need to read the in-between. I mean, I think you know most of you know. If you don't know the story of Joseph, he goes out at this point in his tunic to go and check on his brothers and see how they're doing. That's what Jacob asked him to do. They see him coming. They grab him. They strip him of his clothes. They throw him down in the pit. And they're thinking about killing him. And then they say, oh, why would we kill him when we can sell him? Here comes some, some Midianite traders and they'll will sell him. So they sell their brother into slavery. And he goes off. And we pick up in verse, I think it's 36, the last verse in this chapter where it says, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, who was the captain of the guard. I want you to think about this. Because what you're going to see, and what we've already seen, but we'll continue to see in the life of Joseph, is he expresses his faith everywhere the same. The same. The same young man who would walk in honesty and uprightness with his dad, be willing to express his faith, faith and, and walk in, in the tunic of God's love and his father's love, would have hopes for dreams to be fulfilled and counting on God to do it. That's the same Joseph that shows up over and over and over again. And let me tell you, this is the mess that he falls into. His brothers make him a family outcast and they tell his dad he's dead. His dad thinks that Joseph is dead. He then goes on a spiral, not only from being a family outcast, but he's sold into slavery. He's thrown into prison. He ends up before Pharaoh, ends up leading others, saves his family in the story, and at the end product of this brings reconciliation between him and his brothers where they live together and care for one another in community. And all of that being birthed out of the same young man who started here at 17, embracing the love of God and the gift that God was giving, being in a place that he was carrying hope, and then he walks in faith. That kind of lifestyle is described in 1 Peter 2, verse 12, when it says this, You should live good lives among the pagans, that though they would accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good deeds, and they will glorify God on the day that he comes and visits us. See, that's, that's Joseph. That's what Joseph did. That's what he, what he pours his life into. And he takes on this role of being a perennial, 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 yeah, perennial, resilient young man for all the days of his life. He finishes the same way he starts. Now, I would just say to you, no matter what, no matter what kind of mess that you're in, there's a God of miracles that can work in that mess. No matter how you've messed something up, and no matter how you've sinned, there's a covering from the God of grace that can cover that 
so that you can walk into all that he has for you. It's just a matter of accepting it, of believing it's possible, that it's possible that you, because you know what's underneath the tunic. You know your infirmities. You know your failures. You know the places where you stumble. And yet God puts a tunic on you, a covering on you, and he says, I want you in my household. I want you. I've chosen you. I want you. And not only that, he says, not only that, I want you in holy service with me. I want you to be one of my priests. I want one of you that comes into my presence without fear, that knows without a doubt that when you enter into to, to my sanctuary, my place, my presence, I'll be there to greet you and meet you with open arms and embrace you because I love you. You've been chosen by me and you are holy in my sight because of what my son Jesus Christ has done for you. To live that, to live that really does have to do with faith, hope, and love. But love is the greatest of those because if you don't believe that God loves you. 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 See, it's easy to look around and pick somebody else out in the crowd and go, yeah, I know God loves them, but I mean me. See, he's talking about you. If you don't believe that God loves you, you'll never be able to go the distance. You won't be able to be resilient. You won't be able to bounce back. That is the key ingredient in Joseph's life is that he knew that he was loved, he had hope, and he walked in faith. I'm going to ask the worship team to come ahead, and as they come forward, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I want to share with you just a simple thing, pray with you. It always amazes me how in God's word, God has absolutely no problem with pulling back the curtains on the private lives of his kids. So he shows us where they fail. He shows us where they are victorious. And every time he does that, there's something in it that reveals not only who he is, but reveals who he wants us to be. See, I believe that there is meant to be a resiliency in your and my life like Joseph. Why, why would God, why does God take such painstaking efforts to open up the life of his kids and say, hey, I want you to see this. I really want you to see this. And then he allows us to look at that, the, the, the good, the bad, the ugly, and then go, you're not going to believe what I can do with this. You're not going to believe what that mess can become with the touch of the impossible. And there's only one person that can do that. That's God. And so I'm going to ask this morning, I'm going to pray for you. I'm really going to pray. I, I guess the word that runs through my mind is a robe of righteousness, a covering of his love. That you would allow yourself the thought that you could be walking under that kind of covering that you could be walking with that kind of gift. You just have to receive it. And what I'd share with you on the other hand, there are many of us that receive it and then act like it doesn't do any good. 
you know, that somehow it's not enough. It's not enough to cover my failures. It's not enough to cover my, my wrongdoing. It's not the word. There is one who paid everything so that you could be covered from a multitude of sins. There is one who paid everything so that you could walk without fear, not just in the world, but before a holy God. Father in heaven, I pray right now in Jesus' name. I'm asking, Lord, that what you would do is just like in the garden with Adam and Eve, and you prepared a covering for them, that you prepare a covering for us, that we would feel and sense that we are covered from our shame, covered from the things that have gone wrong in our life and the failures of us. Lord, that we would be covered. Covered, Lord, like the, the priests of old. Covered with a tunic, Lord, that very simply would cry out and say, they are holy unto the Most High God. Not because they're perfect, but because they're covered. And Lord, we acknowledge that that covering is provided. Not for, through how well we can do something. In fact, Lord, I, I, I guess I'm not sure anybody would even consider the covering you put on us as, uh, as uh, good clothing. But we do. We do. Cover us, Lord, with the covering that comes from you and help us to walk in holiness and right standing with you. Children of the Most High God, priestly, royal, part of the chosen ones because of what you do in our lives. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, I told you I was going to give you some action steps, and this will be a little bit of work for you. But I'd like you to first and foremost read about the resilient life of Joseph. Golly, it's going to be it's six whole chapters. Okay, pressure's on. But that could be like one chapter a day and you'd still be done before next Sunday, okay? So read about the resilient life of Joseph. Make a decision each day to let God turn your messes into a miracle. Reflect on those three little words, faith, hope, and love, and ask yourself this simple question, how would I walk this week if I really believed that God was with me? Because he is. God bless you.